Say amen. amen. Oh, you're kind of grumbling it out this morning. Is it because it's rainy outside? All right, we can, we, can, uh, we can talk a little bit in church, can't we? All right, I'm glad you guys are here, and I'm looking forward to diving into the message from God's Word. And uh, we've looked two times now in this series on gospel simplicity at what the Bible has to tell us about decomplicating what religion often complicates. I told you from the beginning, gospel is simple. Religion is complicated. So if your spiritual life feels like it's complicated, it's because you have gotten away from what the Bible calls in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. And the burden that God has set on my heart in preaching this series is to convey to our church what the Bible means when it talks about the simplicity that is in Christ, the simplicity of the gospel. I'll be honest, as I studied these truths this week, I don't feel adequate to communicate these truths. These are honestly such rich truths. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around them as well. And yet the fact of the matter is when you boil the truth of the gospel down, it's a whole lot more simple than what all the religions of this world want to make it out to be. I believe that most Christians today mistakenly believe that the gospel is only for sinners. It is for people who are lost without Jesus Christ. As you study your Bible, one thing you'll begin to see is that the gospel is not just for the sinner. The gospel is just as much for the saint, the person who has trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. I'll put it to you a different way. You don't need Jesus any less after you get saved. You needed him before you got saved. I think that we oftentimes get this wrong as believers. There's a tendency to think that we need Jesus to save us, but once we're saved, well, then it's all up to us to try to do our best to live for God. That leads to a lot of error, a lot of erroneous thinking among people who claim to be religious. Can I tell you the key to the Christian life? It's in your notes, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. It's this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You want to know the key to the Christian life? It's yet not I, but Christ. You see, God's answer for every problem of man is Jesus. You hearing me? Simply Jesus. Jesus is the answer to every problem that humanity faces. I like what Watchman Nee wrote. He said, God makes quite clear in His Word that He has only one answer to every human need, and that is His Son, Jesus Christ. Understand, you can't be saved without Jesus. Neither can you live the Christian life without Jesus. So the message of the gospel is a message that's pertinent to you, whether today you find yourself as a sinner without Christ or today you find yourself as a saint saved, you still need Christ just as much. I believe that perhaps the book of the Bible that most comprehensively and simply describes the gospel of Jesus Christ is the book of Romans. And I, I love studying the book of Romans. One day I hope God will let me preach verse by verse through this wonderful book of the Bible. But let me give you a short summary of this wonderful book of the Bible before we dive into our text in Romans chapter 5. 
The first eight chapters of Romans are a doctrinal synopsis of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in no other place in scripture will you find a more comprehensive description of what the gospel is. So those first eight chapters give us this summary of the gospel. And the first four and a half chapters of that eight, from chapter one through chapter five and verse 11, they contain what I call the gospel to the sinner describes how we're in sin and how by faith in Jesus' finished work we can be saved from our sin. Then the second half of the first eight chapters of Romans from chapter 5 and verse 12 all the way through the end of chapter number 8, they contain what I call the gospel to the saint. And both are significant. In the first half, it is the problem of our sins that is being dealt with. But in the second half, in chapters 5 through 8, it is the principle of sin at work in us that is being dealt with. You say, well, what's the difference, Pastor? Well, perhaps you've experienced this yourself. I know for me, before I got saved, I was acutely aware of the fact that I was a sinner and deserving of punishment for my sin. I was acutely aware of the guilt of my sins. But then I got saved and I knew I was forgiven of my sins. It didn't take very long for me to figure out, even though I've been forgiven of sin, I still struggle with some inherent part of me that keeps sinning. I think there's part of us that think once we get saved, then we'll we'll just stop sinning. That's the difference between what the Bible deals with in Romans being the problem of sin and then the principle of sin that is still at work in us. And the good news is the gospel of Jesus delivers us from both. And that's what we're going to learn as we continue on in this series in the book of Romans. Now, Romans chapter 5 is what I would say is the climax of this first section of Romans, which I've called the gospel to the sinner. And in this passage, we learn the true extent to which the gospel has saved us. Let me tell you what the goal God has set on my heart through the preaching of his word is. The goal that God has set on my heart is this, to help you come to understand how the gospel of Jesus has fully and finally dealt with the problem of sin in your life for all eternity. Listen, this is not just a a message for those who don't know Christ, because the fact of the matter is, those of us who claim to know Christ, we forget what the Bible says, and it negatively impacts how we live our Christian life. So this truth is incredibly important for all of us. And so we're going to look this week in Romans 5 at what the Bible has to say to us about the problem of sin. And then we'll continue on in future weeks to look at what the Bible has to tell us about how we can be delivered from the principle of sin at work in our lives. And so with that being said, let's turn our attention to Romans chapter 5, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says in Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore... Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Two key words. 
or actually one key word mentioned twice in this passage that I want you to notice. In verse number one, here's the word. It says, therefore being what? Justified by faith. Go down to verse nine. In verse number nine, the Bible says much more than being now what? Justified. Justified is a key word that we need to understand. What does it mean to be justified? Why is it significant to our Christian life that we are justified? That's what we're going to focus on from the scriptures. And there are three truths about justification in this passage that will help you understand just how fully and finally the problem of sin has been dealt with in your life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We prepare to enter into the study of these glorious truths. Why don't we bow our heads together? Listen, if you don't focus your heart and your attention into what the scripture has to say, you may miss something that is incredibly important to your life today. I ask that you put your spiritual ears on today and turn your heart to what the Scripture has to teach us. And let's pray together and ask for God to speak to us now. Our Father, we come before you this morning and we're thankful, God, for what you've already done in your church today. Thankful for the time of praise we've been able to share together, the time of fellowship we've enjoyed as we've come together. But now, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to set all of the things aside and to focus in on the truth of your word that you have for us today. This truth, Lord, is for many of us something we may have heard something about before. I believe that so many of us, including myself, Lord, even as I studied this week, there's so much about the gospel that I, maybe just because of a lack of faith or because of an unwillingness to really listen to what you're saying and believe it, um, we miss. And I pray, God, that it would be simplified in our minds to understand what it is you've done for us and how it should impact our lives. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will especially draw those who, whether they realize it or not, they are not saved, they are not justified, they, uh, they don't have this assurance. And I pray that today would be the day they come forward and trust you as their Savior. Encourage all of us in the Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Three truths about justification that will show you how fully and finally the problem of sin has been dealt with in your life. Note down the first one with me this morning. The first one is this. I want you to see the pronouncement of justification. Notice the pronouncement of justification. Number one, uh, in verse number one, I should say, the Bible tells us this, therefore being justified by faith. Now, just stop right there. The Bible says being justified by faith. Paul speaks here of those who have been justified. Now, what does the word justified mean? Well, the word justified in the Greek, it literally means to be declared righteous. That's what being justified is. It means to be declared righteous. You know, our fundamental problem as humanity is that we are not righteous. We are not righteous individuals. And we have a problem with sin. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, that means nobody's righteous. That's what the scripture tells us. We have a problem as humanity. None of us are declared righteous before God. And so here's what happens. Religion would have us to believe that by keeping certain rules, we can somehow make ourselves righteous before God. And that's what most religions try to teach. We would call it a works-based salvation. What does the scripture say? Look in your notes or in your Bibles at Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Here's what the scripture says. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be what? Justified in God's sight. See, in God's sight, 
doesn't matter how much you try to do, it will never be enough to declare you righteous before God. The Bible says even the one who tries to keep the whole law and does it and only, only messes up at one point becomes unrighteous. He becomes guilty of all. And uh, this is a problem that all of us share. There will be no spiritual scale in heaven one day. When you get up there where you're going to put up all the good things you've done compared to all the bad things you've done and hope that it out, your good stuff outweighs your bad stuff. There'll be no scale like that in heaven. You've done one thing wrong, you're unrighteous, and you're not deserving of going to that blessed place called heaven. And so we're not declared righteous by our own human effort. The question then begs to be asked, how can we be declared righteous before a holy God? Well, note this down. To be declared righteous, your unrighteous debt must be paid for. Think about this with me. Consider an illustration. Let's imagine a man owes a great sum to a bank. And uh, if the bank, to come to that man and cancel his debt, to write off his debt, that would be forgiveness. The man would still be guilty of the debt. The debt would be forgiven. There's still guilt there but the debt would be forgiven. Let's imagine in the other case, the bank decides to sue the man to get what the man owes them. That would be considered justice. If they sue him, that means he must pay what is owed or be punished for not doing so. There's a third option. If the man, suppose he had a wealthy friend, and the wealthy friend came along and decided to pay his debt for him, If he paid the debt, the man would not be guilty of that debt anymore. He would get to go free. What is that, preacher? It's justification. The man's not guilty anymore because his debt's been paid, only he didn't pay the debt. You see what I'm saying? That's what Jesus has done for those who believe in him. He's not just come and ignored the the debt of sin that we owed. The Bible teaches us that he came and he paid that debt himself for us. And to everyone who believes in Jesus, that payment Jesus has offered for sin has been reckoned or accounted to your account. And boy, this is the wonderful beauty of what the Bible teaches us about the doctrine of justification. Notice Romans chapter 4 and verse 25 tells us that Jesus, he was delivered for our offenses, but he was raised again for what? Our justification. He died to pay the debt for our sin, but he rose again to to put that debt down, debt down before the record in heaven on your behalf so that you would be declared not guilty before the throne of God in heaven. Now I'm going to tell you something. That's reason for a believer to say, Hallelujah, thank you Jesus. Because we don't have to be declared guilty anymore even though in and of ourselves we are guilty. Jesus has come and done what's necessary to pay the price for our sin and offers us this Payment for our sin as a gift that we simply need to receive. And boy, that's so important for us to understand. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And if any man sin, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation. That means He is the satisfactory payment for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole 
world. Friend, you can't make yourself righteous before God. Try as hard as you might. But there is a Savior, Jesus Christ, who has done what you could not do, died on the cross to pay for your sin so that when you receive what He has done for you before the record of God in heaven, He can pay your debt of sin and declare you righteous before God. I'm going to tell you one thing we see And what the Bible presents to us here about justification is that you and I have nothing to do with it. Jesus is the one that did all of the work that was necessary for us to be able to be saved. Now the question that naturally comes next to be asked is how do do I receive this justification from Jesus? Our text answers that question as well. Look look, Look at chapter 5 verse 1 again. It says, therefore being justified by what? Faith. By faith. Faith is simply believing in God's Word. Listen to me. In other words, since Jesus said He can pay for your sins if you believe in Him, then if you believe in Him and trust Him to do so, you'll be saved. You you need to stop trusting in yourself, stop trusting in your religion, stop trusting in your baptism, stop trusting in anything that you can do of yourself and start trusting in Jesus and what Jesus alone has done to save your sinful soul. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4 and verse number 3 about Abraham. That Abraham believed God. What happened? It was counted to him for righteousness. He simply believed God's promise, God's word, and that was counted to him for righteousness. It goes on later in Romans chapter 4 and uh, verse number 23 and says, Now it was written for, not for his sake alone that it was imputed or counted to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. In other words, like Abraham, if you'll simply believe what God's word says about what Jesus has done for you, that will count for righteousness on your behalf. So I don't deserve that. I didn't do anything to earn that. That's the point. Bible calls it grace. And for by grace, God giving you something you don't deserve and you could never earn, by that grace, you are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing what the Bible teaches us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Being saved, being justified is so easy that the Bible often compares it to receiving a gift. Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 18. It says, even so by the righteousness of one, now that's Jesus, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, being justified is something that's so simple. Jesus died and paid for it. He rose again and now he offers it freely to anybody who will receive it from him interesting thing he doesn't force it on anyone but he offers it to everyone he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance and friend if you're here today I don't care what kind of debt of sin you have what kind of guilt you have for things that you've done in your past Jesus has paid the debt and he can save your soul I remember the day that I received Jesus Christ as my savior it was October 15th of 1999 it was the day I realized it was, I was a sinner and I didn't understand everything about the gospel, but I knew I needed Jesus to save me. And so down the aisle I went on that day and I prayed and trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior 23 years ago this last October 15th. And I thank God for that day. Have a day. Have a moment in your life where you've received a gift of what Jesus has done for you. you. Say, well, preacher, I've always been saved. I grew up in church. I got baptized when I was a baby. I didn't, 
No, 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 no. You're not listening to what I'm saying. I don't care if you've been baptized. I don't care if you've gone to church your whole life. I don't care if you've gone to church every day of your life. That won't get you to heaven, and that won't declare you righteous. There's only one person who can, and that's Jesus. And if you've not received salvation from Him, you're not saved. You say, well, Mama said I was saved. Well, I don't want to discredit your mama, but I don't care what your mama says. I care what the Bible says. And the Bible says there's one way to salvation, and Jesus is it. You had a day in your life when you received what Jesus Christ has done for you? That's what we're talking about. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you're declared righteous. That's justification. And so we see, number one, the pronouncement of justification. Number two, and this is good, don't miss this. Number two, I want you to see the product of justification. The product of justification. You see, once you're justified, that is declared righteous by Jesus, it changes your life. It changes everything about your life. No longer do you have to go about your life feeling guilty about sins that are past and that are forgiven. No, you have been declared righteous by what Jesus has done for you. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, Therefore, be, uh, therefore there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Boy, I'm thankful for that fact right there. You don't have to carry around that weight of sin any longer because being justified, being saved, it produces some changes in your life. I want you to see what the Bible reveals to us those changes are, starting in verse number 1. First off, look at verse number 1 of chapter 5. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, here it is, we have what? Peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The first powerful change that God works in your life when you are saved, when you are justified, is He brings you a peace with God. Just think about that. A peace with God. Before you got saved, you didn't have this peace. In fact, before you get saved, you feel like God's out to get you. You feel like when you try to talk to God, you wonder if He likes you. You wonder if He has, uh, wants to have anything to do with you. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah chapter 57, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And boy, the people who are living in sin and apart from Christ, they shouldn't have peace. They're separated from God. But after you get saved, this is what the Bible's telling us. The war is over. God no longer has anything against you. And you can be at peace with your Creator. You can be at peace with God because you know your sins are forgiven. And I like what Romans 8.31 says. It says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Boy, if we're in God's favor, who cares if we're in anybody else's favor so long as we have the favor of God. So this peace that God gives us, understand this, it is forever based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's a, ver there's a verse in your notes. I want you to look at it with me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. It reveals that Jesus has made peace for us, listen, through the blood of His cross. How do we get this peace with God? The Bible makes it very clear. It's through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. Where religion wants to confuse us. This is where we get off track even after our salvation. We don't live at peace with God because we feel like it's somewhat up to us to make sure we do everything we're supposed to do, God's upset with us. God doesn't want anything to do with us. Right from the very beginning, the only way we could have peace with God was through what? Blood of the cross of Christ. Listen, I'm not at peace at God because I've got everything together. 
I'm not at peace with God because I did a good job being a Christian this past week. The only reason I can ever have peace with God is because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. It's what the Bible teaches us. That's the beautiful reality of the gospel of Christ. You will not find peace with God through your good deeds. You will not find peace with God through your disciplined Christian life. But you will only ever find peace with God through simple dependence on what Jesus has done for you. Here's the issue, Christian. We have trouble believing what God's word has already said. I want to challenge you with something here today. God said, you have peace with him. You've trusted in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. War's over. God didn't have anything against you. That being true, you need to start living like you believe it. If you feel like God's upset with you and God wants nothing to do with you, if you'd read your Bible, you'd find out that's not the case. I like what Paul said in Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. He said, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You know how you can grab hold of that peace? You simply believe what God says. <laughs> peace and believing. You know the first thing that God produces in your life through your being declared righteous, justified, is a peace with God. Now here's the second thing. Not only is there a peace with God, you see there is a position of grace. A position of grace. Now y'all better start helping preach, help me preach a little bit or I'm going to keep going real slow, okay? <laughs> now I'm just kidding with you a little bit. Let's look at verse number 2. The Bible says in verse 2, By whom, that's Jesus, also we have, what's the next word? Access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. The Bible here speaks of a position, and the position that we're standing in is a position of grace. I love that word access here. God has given us access. That's a Greek word that literally means, it speaks of the ability to approach. And boy, because we believed in Jesus and He's declared us righteous from our sin, the glorious truth of the gospel is that God has given us the ability to approach His throne. Now just think about this with me for a little bit. How different it was before we got saved. Before we got saved, we didn't feel like we could approach God. In fact, we felt like there was a wall between us and God and that we had a little bit of apprehension about coming before the God of the universe. Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden after they'd sinned, the Bible says that when God showed up, what did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They didn't, want, they, they, they didn't want to be in God's presence anymore because they were sinners. And boy, before we got saved, that was how our relationship with God was. But after we get saved, we're forgiven of our sin. And now God has given us the ability to come boldly before His throne of grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, friend, that's a wonderful position to be put into. A position where we have free access to the God of the universe. I want you to look at what the Bible tells us here in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 19. It says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near in full assurance of faith. Here's what we do as believers. And certainly for people that are lost, they should feel this way. But as believers, religion confuses us a little bit because we think even after we get saved, well, somewhat up to me to try to be a good person. And we think that our ability to approach God is contingent on our worthiness, our behavior. And so we wake up some days and we think, you know what? I've been a pretty good Christian today. I think God will listen to me. Other days we say, you know what? You asked my wife, 
I wasn't a good Christian today. I'm sure God, wa- God wants nothing to do with me today. I'm sure uh, I, I've got to get over this mound in order for God to, be, God to be willing to talk to me again. Is that what the Bible teaches? No. The only reason you get to come into the presence of God, not because you deserve it, but because Jesus has shed his blood and given you access. Isn't that simple? You say, well, preacher, if that's the case, then I guess I can live however I want and uh, always be able to come into God's presence. Listen, that's not the point. The point is, Jesus has done what you couldn't do, shed his blood for your sin to give you access to God, and now you can come into God's presence. And by the way, you'll not come into the presence of God to do anything else but live for God. That's a significant thing for us to understand. And so we see the product of our justification is that, hey, we're given this peace with God. We're given a position of grace. It reminds me of the story I heard about a little boy who came to Buckingham Palace one day. And he was standing in front of the gate of Buckingham Palace in England. And as he was standing there, he asked the royal guard to let him see the king. And the royal guard promptly refused his request. And the little boy started to cry. And as he's wiping a tear away from his little cheek, there's a well-dressed man that came along and saw the little boy crying. And he stopped him and he asked him what his problem was. And he said he wanted to see the king. He reached out his hand to the little boy and he said, take my hand, sonny. You don't mind those guards. You just come in with me. He was surprised as he took the stranger's hand that when they walked up to the guards again, the guards shook to attention. Walked right into the gate right into the palace, down the carpeted halls, into the, the, the great throne room, and right before the presence of the king, that little boy had taken the hand of the Prince of Wales, king's son. And so he got to come into the presence of the king. I tell you, whenever you take the hand, the nail-pierced hand of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you can march right in to the very throne room of God as you're connected to him. That's what God has asserted of in His Word. We don't live that way, though, do we? And as believers, we feel like there's this barrier between us and God that isn't there simply because we are not willing to believe what the Bible teaches us. The product of our justification is a peace with God, a position of grace, but I want you to see this third product, and that is this, a prospect of glory. The prospect of glory. Now, we don't have time to park on this very long today, so I'm going to breeze through this quickly here. But Romans chapter 5 and verse, verse number 2, the Bible says that we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The Bible says that we have hope. Hope is another part of the product of our being declared righteous by Jesus Christ. Now, listen, before we got saved, we didn't have hope. But now... Since we have Christ, Colossians chapter 1 tells us that it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. Listen, you want to know why I don't fear death? I don't fear death because I've got Jesus in my heart. I know where I'm going because I know who I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. Now yesterday I sat in the home of one of our dear members here and who was given a bad prognosis a prognosis that the doctors told him there's nothing more they can do and it's only a matter of time before he departs from this lifetime. And I was able to watch that man smile and say, I'm not worried, Pastor. He said, the doctor thinks I'm crazy. I'm not worried. You know why he could say he's not worried? Because he knows where he's going. Once you're declared righteous by God, doesn't matter what happens to you in this earth, you know you have the hope of eternal life with the Lord. Amen? A prospect of glory. Here's a fourth product of our justification, and that is a profusion of goodwill. Profusion of goodwill. This is perhaps the most significant of all the products of our justification. 
And let me put it to you simply. This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the assurance of the love of God. Look at verse number 5 with me if you would. The Bible says in verse 5, And hope makes not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Every single day, God the Spirit sheds abroad the assurance of God's love in your heart. You say, even on my bad days, even on your bad days, God wants you to know He loves you. That phrase, shed abroad, means that it's poured out in abundance. The fact of the matter is, God loves you so much you could never possibly understand or comprehend how much he loves you. Religion wants to, wants to try to get us to question whether or not God really loves us because of how we've been living our life. And we think if we're real good, then God loves us more. But if we're real bad, God loves us less. That's not what the gospel teaches. In fact, the gospel teaches just the opposite. Notice how uh, abundant God's love was for you in the next verses. Look at verse number 6 with me. Verse 6, the Bible says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man. Some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now friend, God's love is so abundant for you that even when you are sinning against Him, even when you were His enemy, even when you were against Him, He still decided to come and die so that you could be forgiven and saved. God did that. You were His enemy. You were His opponent. Do you think now that you are His, He'll love you any less? So much the more. In fact, if you read on in the book of Romans here, Look at verse number 9, what the Bible says. What's the first two words? Oh, much more. Oh, there's so much more. We'll get to that in just a minute. God loves you at your worst, and He loves you at your best. The fact of the matter is, God loves you. The gospel is that God's love for you is so abundant that you could never possibly comprehend it, and you could never possibly be separated from it. That's how good God is. Romans chapter 8, and verse 38 says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Let me translate that for you. You put in whatever scenario you want to put in there, God still loves you. Nothing can ever take that love that God has for you away from you. Don't let... The confusion of religion steal away from you the joy of your salvation. The assurance of the fact that God loves you. We see the pronouncement of justification. We see the product of justification. The final thing I want you to see, the power of justification. The power of justification. You see, if it wasn't enough that God has declared us righteous, the unworthy sinners that we are, it wasn't enough that God has given us peace and hope and the assurance of His love and the hope of eternal life. If it wasn't enough that He's done all this for us, much more. There's so much more. I want you to see what the Bible says again in verse number 9. The Bible says in verse 9, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from what? 
wrath through him. You want to know how much more God loves you? How much more he did for you when he justified you, when he saved your soul? First off, we see it in the fact that you are saved from wrath. The Bible says you're saved from wrath. You see, before you got saved, before you trusted Jesus as your Savior, you were a sinner deserving of punishment. Now, that's not a popular message today, but scripturally, it's still what the Bible teaches. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. You sin, you deserve to die. And make no mistake about it, because the Bible doesn't, that death is not just a physical death, it's a spiritual death, separation from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. You say, well, I don't like those hellfire and brimstone preachers. Well, I'm not hellfire and brimstoning right now, okay? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. See, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 8, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, and left to yourself without Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. You deserve to burn in hell for all of eternity for your sin. Oh, but thank God have a savior we have a savior who said no i love him too much and he came down on this earth and lived a sinless life and he went to an old rugged cross and he died on the cross in your place for your sin to save you from the punishment of sin that you deserved and now you don't have to go to hell you can be saved from your sin you can know that you're going to heaven through trusting in jesus christ as your savior the bible tells us in uh, uh, isaiah chapter 53 and verse number five But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all, that we could be saved. But the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 10, that Jesus has delivered us from the wrath to come. So thankful I'm saved. I'm so thankful I've got the assurance that my sins are forgiven because I've trusted in Jesus Christ today. Have that assurance. Trust in Jesus to declare you righteous before God through what he did for you on the cross. You can have that assurance today. The power of justification is that you're saved from wrath. Here's the second thing. Not only are you saved from wrath, but you're saved from ruin. You're saved from ruin. Verse number 10, look at it with me quickly. The Bible says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You see, Jesus, according to what this verse teaches us, He did much more than just give His life for you. He gave His life to you. What's the difference? Let me tell you. Jesus giving His life for you saved you from the penalty of sin. Jesus giving His life to you saves you from the power of sin over your life. He, like we talked about from Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the fact of the matter is, God has placed His Spirit inside of you the moment you got saved to give you the power to do what you could have never done in and of yourself. And that is live the Christian life. That's what the life of Jesus means for you. You've got Christ in you. So before you say, well, I can't, I can't do what God asked me to do. Well, you couldn't without Christ, but now that you've got His Holy Spirit in your heart, hey, for, for with man it is impossible, but with God, what does the Bible say? All things are possible. 
Boy, God's placed his life, his power inside of you as a believer. We're going to talk about this more in future weeks. But I love what Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 says. It says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Here's what religion does. Religion tries to enslave you with systems that you could not possibly keep. Tries to tell you, in order to please God, you need to follow all of our rules and go through all of our ceremonies and do all our things and you fall short, and you fall short, and you fall short. Here's the gospel. The gospel emancipates you with a Savior who sends His Spirit to live inside of you to enable you to do what you could never do without His power. God doesn't give you a list. God gives you Himself to walk with you, to guide you, to give you strength, to give you grace, to give you power to live the Christian life. Thankful. I don't just have a list that God says to keep and not give me the power to do it. No, God gives me the power to do what He's commanded me to do. He's placed Himself inside of me as a believer by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, friend, you get a hold of that truth, it'll change your life. We, the power of justification is that we're saved from wrath, yes, but we're also saved from ruin. And those of you that have been saved, you understand this as well as I do. The life you lived before you trusted Christ as your Savior looks a little bit different than the life you're living today. What changed? God came into your life. That's what changed. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Hallelujah. God, that we're not left alone to live in this world. God gives us the power to live the Christian life. Here's the final thing I want you to see and we'll be done. Saved from religion. Look at verse number 11. The Bible says, And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. See, the Bible tells us there's still much more that we've received because we've been saved. And the Bible literally says here that we can joy in God. That word joy in the Greek, it literally means to boast. So the Bible says that we can boast in what God has given us through Jesus's sacrifice for us. And what is that? That we are forever reconciled to God. Listen, the word atonement at the end of verse 11 is the same word that's used and translated as reconciled in verse number 10. The same word, and it's the same concept. Both of them mean to exchange or to bring back into God's favor. Here's what we get to boast about as believers. God's favorites. Hey, well, God's no respecter of persons. No, I understand that. Listen, when you get saved, you're brought into the favor of God. You're no longer estranged from God, separated from God. Your sin debt has been paid for, and now you stand in grace. You stand in the favor of God, and the Bible says, joy about it, boast about it, be happy about it. It's something to rejoice about. It's something to celebrate, the fact that we are in God's favor. This is something that religion doesn't offer to you. Religion only offers systems that attempt to help you gain or maintain God's favor. But the gospel places you in God's favor, not by what you do, but by what Jesus has done for you. And friend, the truth of the matter is when you get saved, you get placed into the favor of God. And God says to you, you're my children. I go act like it. Read, read, read Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. You'll figure this out real quick. See, this is the beauty of the gospel. I don't ever have to question whether or not I'm in God's favor. Jesus made that possible for me. And now I get to live every day of my life boasting the fact that I am the favored son of God. And boy, that compels me to want to live as such.
always use this illustration because it means so much to me. When I was a boy, oftentimes, as I got older, I'd go to play a basketball game or I'd go to, on, on a trip as a teenager. My dad would stop me before I left and he'd always tell me, son, you're a burkett. Make sure you act like it. The fact that I was a burkett was never in question. Dad never said, if you screw up, then I'm kicking you out, son. He said that. He told me, you're a burkett. Act like it. I think of when I often think of what the Lord has done for us. He calls us his own. We're his children. And he gives us the power and compels us to live as such. What a blessed privilege it is to be in the favor of God. Such a blessed privilege that God has left us on this earth with the great responsibility of calling everyone else that we can to come enter into this favor of God along with us. Not to hoard it to ourselves, but to share it with everyone. That's one of the final things I want to show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 18. The Bible says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has now given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Being saved, it's such a wonderful thing. If you are saved, you know what it's like to have the hope of eternal life, to have a peace with God, to have the joy of your salvation. It's a wonderful thing. Don't keep it to yourself. The beauty of the gospel is we can share it with others. And friend, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you don't know if God would look at you and say you're righteous. You're not sure that you're forgiven of your sin. You're not sure where you'd go if you die. Friend, I want to share with you the gospel again. The truth of the matter is, if you're not sure of your salvation, Jesus Christ wants to save you today. And here's how. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Remember, you're not righteous and you need to be made righteous. With your heart you believe to be declared righteous by Jesus. And then with your mouth you confess unto salvation. In other words, Romans 10, 13 puts it very simply when it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're a sinner and you know you need to be saved by Jesus, if you'll call out to Jesus today and ask Him to save you, you'll be saved. Say it can't be that simple. Surely I've got to do something else. No, Jesus already did it all. Just trust Him. Just believe in Him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Boy, if you've never made that decision, I hope that today will be the day you bow your head before the Lord and you call out to Jesus to save your sinful soul. Believers, listen to me before we're done. This message was not just to those who don't know Christ, but it's also to people who claim to know Christ. If you've been saved, don't complicate your spiritual life not believing what God teaches. See, if you've been declared righteous by God, the Bible says you've been given peace with God. Why are you living like you don't have it? The Bible says you have a, been given a position of grace. So why are you acting like God won't let you come before His throne? You have been given an eternal living hope. You've been given the assurance of God's love. You've been saved from wrath. You've been saved from ruin trying to live the Christian life on your own. You've been saved from religion thinking you have to live by a system in order to please God. You've been saved from all of these things. Also, you can enjoy a simple relationship with Jesus Christ. My challenge for you, believer, to start believing gospel that you believed in from the very beginning. Start actually living like God meant what he said. He wrote these things. Change the way you live your Christian life. I hope there'll be many of us begin to experience the freedom, the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. Our heads are